This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so excited you are joining us today. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network. Learn more about all of our shows at sandyboyproductions.com. I am really excited about this episode coming off the Donna Marathon weekend. We had such a great weekend in Jacksonville, Florida, and you're missing out if you don't come to that race every year. I hope I'll see you there next year. Uh, And one of the wonderful people that I get to spend time with every year that I'm down in Jacksonville is Joan Benoit Samuelson, an icon in our sport. I've wanted to interview her for a while, and this was the right time. You know, I first had the opportunity to meet Joan in 2018 at this race, and I wasn't ready for this interview. I don't know who I was kidding, thinking I was, but I wasn't, and so I'm so excited that we finally had the opportunity to record. If you don't know who Joan Benoit Samuelson is, let me tell you, she is the champion from the first women's Olympic marathon in 1984. Isn't that wild to think that that was the first year they had the marathon for women in the Olympics? She was the champion, she won the gold medal. She held the American record for 28 years in the marathon, 2-21-21, which she ran in Chicago. She won the Boston Marathon in 1979 while a college student, and she also won the Boston Marathon in 1983. She's the founder of an awesome race called Beach to Beacon, and she has been a supporter of the Donna Marathon since the beginning. She is one of the founders of this race. She was part of the community that had this passion to be a part of a race that helped fight breast cancer. And all of you probably know because you've heard me talking about it for a long time, unless you're new here, that this is a race that is near and dear to my heart. It supports families walking through a breast cancer diagnosis through the Donna Foundation, and it also supports groundbreaking research, a phenomenal event every February. Um, You can go to breastcancermarathon.com to learn more. We hope to see you there next February. And I do want to let you know that the Donna Marathon and the Donna Foundation They have a 5K that's coming up on May 13th at 8 a.m. in Jacksonville, Florida, the Donna Mother's Day 5K. If you don't live in Jacksonville or near, you can compete virtually and support the Donna Foundation. Just go to thedonnafoundation.org to learn more. You can always use the code LINDSAY10 to save 10% off any of their races. And when you run their races, support their races, you are supporting the Donna Foundation, which is totally awesome. Um, All right, friends. Well, I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Joan as much as I did. And I'm just so excited to have this icon in our sport on the podcast and this wonderful human being. I'm so excited to have her on the show. Um, All right. If you do love the show, leave us a quick rating interview. That would be amazing. It helps potential new listeners find us and you are entered to win a pair of Gooder Shades when you do so. Uh, All right. Thanks for being here and enjoy my conversation with Joan Benoit Samuelson. All right. Today on All Have Another Podcast, we have Joan Benoit Samuelson on the show. So honored to have you on the show. I'm happy to be here, Lindsay. Thanks. 
So we first met in 2018, and I told you this last night after dinner. I wanted to interview you so bad that year, and it didn't work out. And I'm really happy because I feel like now is the right time. Like I feel I've learned a lot about podcasting and your career and American distance running in general. So the fact that it's working out now, I'm really, really happy. Well, if you're happy, I'm happy. We're at the Donna Marathon weekend, and this race is super special to me. For those listening who might not know, I have the BRCA2 gene mutation. So I elected to have a prophylactic double mastectomy 10 years ago. And so this race brings a lot of emotion to me. And I know it means a lot. I'm like tearing up. (laughs) I know it means a lot to you, though, as well. So can you tell me why this race is so important to you? Well, I think it just helps to build awareness for breast cancer, and it affects everyone, whether they actually have breast cancer or they have a loved one who has breast cancer or a friend. I mean, it's just so prolific. Um, But this race, no pun intended, is making strides to eradicate the disease, and uh, the money's raised, and the people who come to run and support the race um, just make it so much a part of what our sport is all about and runners helping runners and, and helping each other and hopefully helping society. How did you even get connected, though? Well, it's funny. I was connected to um, this race through Keith Brantley, an Olympic runner who lives down here in Florida, and he said, hey, they're starting a race down here. It's called Donna's Run. It's going to be the National Marathon to Finish Breast Cancer. He said, would you consider coming? And I didn't even have to think about it, obviously. So I came down, and I was telling Donna last night that the first year I came, it was on Valentine's Day, and uh, I had a Valentine date with Keith Brantley and not my husband. <laughs> but, uh, but um, and Donna and I became fast friends, and, you know, I've been here just about every year that they've had the event. COVID got in the way a little bit, and... Uh, She's come up to the race I founded in Maine, uh, the Beach to Beacon 10K, which benefits a different children's charity each year. Um, So here we're supporting breast cancer, and up there we're supporting different children's charities. So it just made for a great friendship, and she and Tim came up last year and went on to Acadia National Park and I think had a great time. You're humble. You, You founded that race, Beach to Beacon. Yes, I founded the... TD Beach Beacon 10K, um, we're celebrating our 25th year this year. It's actually the 27th year since the founding of the race, but we're not counting the two virtual years. Um, so it's a big deal this year. And after uh, the Olympics in 84, I promised myself and my family that I'd give back to a sport and a community that had given so much to me. And I thought about it for a while and then had the opportunity to... Uh, meet with the president of uh, a bank in in Portland. He actually invited me to uh, come in and chat. And uh, as I was leaving our meeting, I noticed the picture of him finishing the New York City Marathon. And I said, uh, I didn't know you were a runner. And he said, oh, yes, I've run five New York City marathons, but my knees have pretty much worn out and I'm not running marathons anymore. And I said, well, someday I'd like to discuss an idea I have. And he said, there's no time like the present. He said, what is it? And I said, well, I'd like to start a race here in Maine 
uh, that gives back to a children's charity. And running is one of the few sports where you can put the best runners in the world side by side with recreational runners. And uh, the name of the bank at the time was People's Heritage Bank. And I said, it's literally a race for all the peoples. And he didn't even bat an eyelash. And we agreed to start the event. What What is the children's charity? Uh, it changes every year. Okay. And um, then the beneficiaries not only get funding from the race, but they also are able to build awareness for their charities. And it's worked out well. And then they're able to get registrations uh, or bibs in the ensuing years um, to raise funds. Okay. I'm so curious how you decide what you get involved with because... You know, I've been a part of this running community for quite a while now, and I will see you at every single finish line of every single major marathon. You are always there. You're always supporting the next generation coming up. How do you decide where you're going to be and when? Because there's a lot of races. Well, I'm not at the finish line of every marathon, but I am um, at the finish line of, of Boston a lot. That's obviously in my backyard, and it's where my career started, so... Um, you know, it's become a community of friends down there. So I'm there, and I've been to Chicago's where I ran my fastest time, and New York is New York. And what, you know, brings me to really all those finish lines is that they're all part of the Abbott World Marathon Majors. And so I've been working with them to inspire and motivate other runners, and uh, I'm hopefully seeking my sixth star very soon, hopefully Tokyo, but right now at my age... Um, and with the miles under my belt, it's one one day at a time. I walking that or running that fine line, so to speak. Honestly, I, I I've interviewed so many professional runners. I don't know that I've ever interviewed someone that loves running as much as you. Well, it's, it's a passion, and when you have passion, you have fire, and when you have fire, you can ignite anything. So it's part of who I am. It's part of my daily routine, but it's just one aspect of my life. And as I tell people all the time, I try to balance my life as best I can. And I think that's led to the longevity that I've enjoyed in the sport. You mentioned Boston. You you won Boston as kind of like flying under the radar when you showed up and then you went and ran this race. And it seems like the story goes that you were super casual. You show up and you're in your baseball cap and and you win the race. When you went into that race, did you know, like, I've got something special here and things are changing with women's running. Like, we're about to see some really special things happening, not just with you, but with other women who were rising up after women couldn't participate for so many years and so many things. Well, you know, I'd never seen the Boston Marathon. You know, it's only two hours away from where we live, but I went as you say, flying under the radar and, and and flying by the seat of my pants. And I I really didn't know what to what to believe and what to think and what to do. And I'd run a ten K earlier that year in Bermuda and then started the marathon the next day with a bunch of other runners who had run the ten K. We were using it as a it was a training run, sort of a cool-down run, and we had agreed to go to the halfway point and then get a ride to the finish. But when we got to the halfway point, 13 miles, um, we were told by a course marshal that if we wanted a ride to the finish, we'd have to wait until the last finisher passed. 
So we looked at each other and said, well, we'd get there faster if we just kept running. So we did. And I think my time there was 2.56, even though it was unofficial and we weren't officially entered. And then that was sort of a sign to me that, hey, first time out, I'm under three. What could I do if I ran it seriously and trained even harder? Because I wasn't really training for marathons. I was training for 10Ks. And uh, so that led to Boston three months later. Three months? I didn't realize that was the timeline. No, the race in Bermuda was in January, the races, and then Boston's in April. So, And I was still in college, so I was running some track races, indoor track races between the two, two events. You were at NC State, right? I was at Bowdoin College then. I, I went to NC State my uh, junior year. I considered it my junior year abroad, um, south of the Mason-Dixon. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that's when I, I really enjoyed my time there. I grew up a lot. I learned a lot because I'd always lived in New England and hadn't ventured out all that much. And, uh, uh, but, you know, it was all track and field and running and cross country. And I felt like I was off kilter because I'd lost a lot of the balance that I was so accustomed to, um, Having, you know, as a young woman living in Maine and, and just balancing my life with outdoor pursuits and a passion for the environment, and that this was knocked off kilter. So, and I developed mono down there. Um, so I, I finished, I actually spent three semesters there because I was on a full ride, one of the first Title IX scholarships, and I felt obligated to pay my dues. So I went back for a third semester and then went back to Bowdoin. So when I ran Bowdoin, I was in a Bowdoin singlet. Oh, when I ran Boston, I was in a Bowdoin singlet and um, back there for, for good until I graduated. That's right. The Bowdoin singlet. And the Boston Red Sox hat. Yes, that's iconic. I read that when you got back to school, you had a standing ovation in the lunchroom. Right. I walked into the cafeteria. It was the next night, and uh, all the students stood up. And I didn't think anybody knew I'd gone off to Boston. I skipped classes and went off again, sort of flying under the radar. I didn't know what to expect, and I didn't want anybody to think I was crazy running 26.2 miles. It's pretty obvious. Like, you don't want to be in the spotlight all the time. You don't want to be, you know, like, interviewed all the time, things like that. Like, did you when that happened? Were you uncomfortable? Were you like, what's what's happening now in my career? Because you people people knew you. I was very uncomfortable after that. As a matter of fact, I was overwhelmed um, because I didn't know that the world was watching the Boston Marathon. I mean, the world of sports or the world of running and marathoning. And you know, back then the Japanese runners were really really strong, and the African runners were were with us, but not to the degree that they are now and with the fame that they've developed as, as a community of runners. But I was getting calls and requests, and I just said, this is too much. I can't deal with it. And I said, I remember saying to myself, I'll never run another marathon. I just can't. This isn't who I am. And, you know, I matured and thought about it. And as you said earlier, you know, your passion is obvious, and it, it 
How do you squelch passion? Where do you think the passion comes from? I think it's an outlet. I think it gets me out there and, and, you know, I do a lot of thinking when I'm out running and um, I just love being outside in nature. And um, I think that I like to challenge myself. I like to see how fast and how far I can go. And I'll never run as fast as I once did. And I can't comprehend today how fast I was running back then uh, because I, you know, I struggle to to, to run an eight-minute mile and in, 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 in training on my runs. And, you know, I ran London in, in um, October with our daughter, which was great. It was celebrating her 35th birthday and my 65th, and together they equaled 100. So I said, let's go. And she was game, and she ran her first sub-three-hour marathon, which I was delighted about. And I wound up running 737 pace, which... I hadn't run a mile under 750 in training, and I just said, how, how did I do this? I mean, it was nothing to write home about, but, you know, I think it was just embedded in my, my stride and in my, my um, brain. I had a partial knee replacement uh, in 2020, and, you know, I waited until I found a surgeon who told me I'd run again, and it took a while, but I did, and... I don't know how many more marathons I have left in me. I'd rather be running 5Ks, 10Ks down the road with our daughter and now a granddaughter. So um, that excites me. But she's going to have to find running. I'm not going to yeah. put it on her plate. That's for darn sure. My parents didn't put it on ours, and they let us chart our own courses, and I think that's so important. Hey, friends, a quick break here. I want to thank Gooder for supporting this podcast. I'm so excited they've signed on for another year. And these are the best sunglasses out there. They are functional, fashionable, and they have all sorts of fun colors. They have classic colors and styles, and they are affordable. Not only are they affordable, they don't break easy either. They like really stand the test of time. I just throw these suckers in my purse and they survive. I don't know how they do, but they do. They have some really cool new sunglasses out now. I love the I like it like that. These purple sunglasses. I think those are my new favorites. And for listeners of the show, you can get free shipping. The code is another. It's just another. And when you use that code, you get free shipping off your order. So go to gooder.com slash another, use the code another, and that'll get you free shipping. Uh, All right, friends. And hey, when you support a sponsor of this podcast, that's you supporting this show. We can't do this show without sponsors or without you listeners. Those are two things that are very essential. So thank you if you've ever purchased from a sponsor before. We really appreciate that. And thank you for listening. All right, back to the show. What kind of advice does your daughter ask you, like when she's going for that sub three? And what do you tell her about working harder and like getting those goals checked off? We really don't talk about it. We just run together. And, uh, you know, we ran together last weekend, two weekends ago. And I was going to say, okay, Abby, just go ahead. You know, this is race pace for me. And, and, And she... She didn't. She was kind and 
as a result, I picked up my... I run. I don't train. There's a difference. I just get out and go through the motions and check the box. Not that I have to check the box for anybody except for myself. And um, there is a difference. Because every time I run with somebody else, it forces me now to pick up my pace. And there is a difference between running and training. I'm so curious what that time in your life was like when you realized I'm not PRing anymore. I'm not setting any more records. And you had to reconcile with like that shift in your career. I think it's through storytelling that I motivate myself. I'll set a goal for myself, which isn't anything like my goals used to be, but it's still a goal. And I think everybody has to have goals in their lives as they transition through the different stages of life. And um, I try to set realistic goals. And sometimes sometimes I put expectations on myself that really aren't warranted or feasible. But, you know, you gotta, you have to set goals. You know, it's so true, though, if you study, like, psychology or anything like that with the brain, we are happier humans when we have a goal. And it's not running for everybody, but, like, if we don't have goals, what are we doing? No, I think somebody has to find what it is they're passionate about and then set goals in whatever sector of their lives that goal winds up to. I think that, you know, whether you're an artist or a musician or a mathematician or a community crusader or leader, um, you've got to set goals. So, you know, I've interviewed a lot of women who have since, actually all three women, women who have broken the American record that you held for 28 years. And I remember the first time I talked to Dina, she tells the story about how you call her to congratulate her. And now that's a thing. You know, Dina calls Kira. Kira calls Emily. And everybody loves the picture of all of you women together after Chicago when Emily broke the American record. And I'm just curious if you can speak to, like, what's happening in American distance running right now for the women and how special what's happening really is. Like, how special that bond all these women have and they're all rising to the occasion because everybody else is rising to the occasion well I love that picture too um and we all sort of met at the finish line with Emily when she broke the record in Chicago and I think it's just part of who we are in our community and how we support each other and I remember being in New York when Dina ran her first marathon, and I told the press that they were looking at the next American record holder. I mean, I just could sense and could tell that Dina had what it took to do it, and she did. And so that started a, f a friendship, and then Kiera and didn't know her at all, and just texted Dina to get her address and, and sent her something, and she texted right back, and, you know... You know, when Molly Sadell ran so well in the world champs and, um, you know, uh, and now most recently Emily, um, you know, and we all have similar qualities, but we also have different qualities. But there's a thread there. And um, they're all 
humble people. And, um, you know, the same with Shalane and, and, and Emily. And I mean, they all, they keep me going now. They keep me going. And I just take great joy in their goals and in their accomplishments. And, uh, you know, it's very strong right now. And I think it's partly due to um, what running has given to me and to the others. We know what each other goes through in order to achieve the goals they want to set for themselves. And I think that's something that harkens back maybe to the loneliness of the long-distance runner. I mean, it's a lonely pursuit in many ways, but it's such a celebration when we come together or whether we're competing against each other or cheering others on. It's, it's, a, it's a community that understands uh, what each person goes through. And, you know, even at the Beach to Beacon, I love to watch the winners, the male and female winners cross the line. But And you'll find it here at Donna's Run that everybody in the race has a story to tell and to share. And whether they realize it at the time or not, those stories are inspiring and inspirational. And these are, you know, what I like most about the Beach to Beacon, it's a 10K it's a doable distance for most people, and it's pulled people off the sidelines who are motivated by what they see happening in front of them as they cheer the runners on, and then they ask themselves the question, I wonder if I could do that. And the only way to find out is to sign up and jump in, and they do. And I think it happens here, and I think, you know, movement and exercise has been proven time and time and time again. It benefits disease and, and uh, illness, and and I think that's why our sport is enjoying um, such success. And, you know, the numbers here this year at Donna's Run, the National Marathon to Finish Breast Cancer, or through the roof. And, you know, a lot of road races have disappeared, yet the ones that are truly inspiring and are making a difference in people's lives continue to, to grow. So I always tell people about this race. It's like, yes, it's it's beautiful to come to Jacksonville. The course is flat. You can try to run fast on it. But, like, this community, that's what makes this race so special. Of course. And just... We all feed off of each other, and we're all inspired by what each other has accomplished. And if you bring that all together into a bigger venue, I mean, it grows exponentially. I do have to bring up the 1984, you know, the whole, like, Olympic marathon, the first women's Olympic marathon that you won the gold medal in. It's kind of a big deal. But we talked about earlier, you don't love being in the spotlight. You you are very humble. I know you said all these other women are humble, but you, like, I can't tell you how many people I have talked to. You set the standard. I know you don't want to say you did, but we'll say you did. And how does that make you feel? Well, there were women who preceded me um, 
And if it hadn't been for their advocating of the sport and their hard work and their protesting and sit-ins and things like that, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. Um, so they paid it forward for me, and so I've tried to pay it forward for the generations that have come and are continuing to come. But, um, you know, the, the longest event in the Olympics for the longest time was the 1,500-meter run, and then in 84 they added the marathon and the 3,000 meters, and then two Olympiads later they leveled the playing field on the track and field schedule with omitting the 3,000, adding the 5 and 10. You know, I only had the opportunity because of the woman who preceded me. And, um, you know, I was at the finish line of the Chicago Marathon when Emily uh, won. And then I was at the finish line a few weeks later in New York City with Nina Cusick, who was one of the original five women who sat down in front of the New York City Marathon and said, this race isn't starting until we're included. And um, so, I mean, there's a history there. And, um, you know, my history is only possible because of their history. Isn't that always, that's always it, right? It's always who went before us. My goodness. What matters most to you at this stage in life, in running and family, career? A healthy environment to support our sport, first and foremost. I mean, I took a lot of grief way back when, in 84, uh, for not leaving Maine to go to a more polluted environment because the ambient air quality in L.A., uh, even back then, wasn't great. And what people failed to know is that the Gulf of Maine where we live is really a catch basin for all the bad air that comes up the eastern seaboard. And it collects there because of the shape of the Gulf of Maine. And it just sits there. So our ozone levels that summer were as bad as they were in L.A. And I, I feel like I'm a human barometer for climate change. If I don't feel it in my lungs, I see it with my eyes. I mean, we live on the coast in Maine, and you can see the the erosion, the rising sea levels, the storm surges, the green algae blooms. I mean, you can see all of that. And, um, you know, we really need to have a call to action really fast. And I think people, and I think runners more than anybody, understand that because of what they do. I mean, I was recently in Mexico City and people were wearing masks primarily because of the air quality, not because of COVID. I, you know, sometimes wear a mask when I go inside and I know it's going to be crowded or I'm traveling where I'm going to be around older people or younger people. And, um, but nobody, but I don't wear them outside. And, um, then I realized I flew in at midnight, so under the cover of darkness, but I flew out in daylight, and there was just this brown haze, and then I had a dry, sort of still do, um, because I was running in Mexico City, and it wasn't the altitude that was getting me. It was the bad air. 
So I think that's that's the most important thing, and to make sport accessible for everyone. And I think that running is one of the most accessible and affordable sport, and people just need to know that exercise is good for them, and because running is accessible and affordable, it's hard to find an excuse not to get out and at least try. Okay, this is my last question. I always ask everybody, what's your last message to leave with our audience? But I heard you talking earlier about pressure in the sport, and I wanted to ask you, you know, if there's any professional runners listening to this, or even someone that's just like trying to be cute or break three hours, whatever, like what would you tell them about enjoying the process? I mean, there are going to be pressure and stakes if you're trying to make an Olympic team, you're trying to really do big things, but how do you not let that pressure suck the joy out of what you're doing? The only person who should be putting pressure on anybody is the person herself or himself. And I have done 90 to 95% of my training on my own. I dictate my own workouts, and I have for the better part of my career. And I said earlier today, the person or the runner knows her body better than anybody else. So expectation from coaches or trainers or family or whomever, you know, I just have avoided those all my life. I just have avoided pressures and expectations. They're all personal expectations is what I guess I'm saying. And you know, I'll be disappointed, but I won't go into a depression. And I think that's, I mean, mental health, that's another concern, obviously, mental health in our sport today, because other people have expectations for you that aren't valid or really um, possible for certain people to achieve. And I mean, that's, I think, why I listen to my inner self. I think if you're, so I've told our kids all their lives, listen to your heart. Your heart doesn't lie. If you're listening to your heart, you're apt to do the right thing. I feel like that could be your last message, but do you have another last, any other last message to leave with the audience listening today? No, if you don't find joy in what it is you're doing, whether it's running or anything else, find something else to do. Joan Benoit Samuelson, we did it. Thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. All right, friends. Thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Joan, for coming on the podcast. It was an honor to have you on my show. Um, you all can find Joan on Instagram. She is Joan Benoit Samuelson over there. Go give her a follow. And hey, her and I both would love to see you at the Donna Marathon weekend next February. Breastcancermarathon.com to learn more about that race. Get it on your calendar for 2024. Um, I will be doing the Mother's Day 5K with the Donna Foundation. I'm going to do it virtually here in Raleigh. And we'd love to have you sign up as well. Go to the DonnaFoundation.org to register. Use the code Lindsay10 for 10% off. Uh, big thanks to Gooder for being a continued sponsor of the podcast. 
Go grab yourself some cool shades. Go to gooder.com slash another. Use the code another for 15% off your order. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'd love to connect with you over there. I am lindsayhine626 on Twitter. I'm at lindsayhine. And we've got a great Facebook group. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Learn more about this podcast and all the shows in our network when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. Thanks for being here and we'll see you next week.